Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. This passage tells us about Jesus as he's calling his first disciples. Luke 5, 1 through 11. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gesenaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Um, This Friday, I was in my office and I received a phone call at the building. And the phone call was from Ben and Dar Wall. Uh, She was calling from B.C., And uh, she just had to find out some information, so that's why she called. But she told me to say a big hi uh, from them out in B.C. They're doing well. And they said they were going to be watching uh, this this morning. So I thought we would give them a nice, warm Winnipeg hi at the camera back there, if it is uh, recording. It looks like it is. All right. And for anybody else who's watching, we say hi to you too. Let's begin this morning with a word of prayer. Uh, God, we are grateful for who you are and for the way that you bless our lives. We're thankful that you give us your words in Scripture so that we can learn from it and hopefully evaluate our lives and see how we line up, God. We thank you for your grace and pray that you'd be with us as uh, as the word of God is proclaimed this morning. We pray all these things through Jesus' name. Amen. So an author of a book I've been reading lately uh, suggested that Many human beings treat, treat people's uh, biblical biographies the way they treat experiences with movies. They get entrenched in the plot, follow the characters with keen interest, then walk away saying that was their life in their reality and this, well, this is my life in my reality. They watch and and don't let what they say speak to or affect their own lives. That may be a good practice for the movies, but we run into some serious problems when we approach the Bible in that way. We miss seeing one of the main reasons that God wrote the Bible. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 15:4, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So you see, God had you and I in mind 
when he wrote the Bible. This means we can learn from everything that is contained in the Bible. And I'd say we can learn especially from the lives of people that are found in the Bible. And in the words of the director of missions and professor of Bible at Lipscomb University, Earl Lavender, he said the Bible is written so we might experience transformation, the mysterious process of God at work in us, and to help us see how often God is calling us to a life of holiness and to a life with him. The preacher at the church where I became a Christian uh, back in Michigan always reminded the congregation. He always reminded the congregation that that the people in the Bible, he would say, were regular, go to work, put their pants on one leg at a time type people. And I'm glad he used to say that so that I would not fall into the movie goer starstruck mentality or type mentality. The people in the Bible were, were people. They were real people with real challenges, real character flaws. They wrestled with sin. They dealt with guilt. And they had real anxieties. And with this in mind, I, I'd like to introduce you to a man that people often become starstruck by. You probably guessed who I'll be talking about this morning from the reading in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. His name was Peter. And from the reading, we learn that Peter had a career. He was a fisherman. If he was sitting beside you this morning, you would know. You would know. You'd know by the smell that came from him. You'd probably know by the way he spoke. You'd probably know by the uh, sand in his, underneath his fingertips. There are those who fall under the category of sport fishermen and sport fisherwomen. I see pictures of those types on Facebook. And when I, when I walk through the checkout lines at Cabela's, they're on the magazines. Peter's type of fishing was a bit different than the person who goes out for a couple hours with a rod, reel, a hook and bait. It was a type of fishing called cast net fishing. And while we were on our vacation, I got to stand and watch uh, from the seawall what type of fishing Peter did. I was about a hundred yards away and I could look out and I could see these two guys in a boat. And they had this, 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 uh, this net with them. And, uh, and it, was, it looked like it was probably stretching from the edge of the boat to about 30 feet out. And at one time, one of the guys in the boat just got up and he leapt in the water. And, uh, and then he was going and he was going all around the edge of the net, trying to make sure that that net spread out as far as it could. That's the type of fishing Peter was doing. And I remember sitting there, and I think I may have even said this to Chris, who was with me, I said, who in their right mind would choose that occupation? It is said of fishermen that few occupations were as difficult as the life of a fisherman. They worked year-round in the heat of the summer and the cold of winter. And often late into the night and on many occasions came up empty. For whatever reason, this was the career that Peter chose. And at a time when he had finished a night at work of work, 
Jesus got into his boat, asked him to push out from the shore, and with Peter right there in his boat, he got exposed to some of, uh, to some of Jesus' teaching. No distractions, up close and personal. I'm not sure what the content of Jesus' lesson was that morning, nor what the length of the time was that he spoke, but it left an impression on Peter. And it made him feel like his words could be trusted. So much so that when Jesus made the the outlandish request for them to go back out into the water and to go through that arduous task of letting their nets back down, Peter did it. And the result was incredible. Incredible because this was in a lake where they had just spent all night fishing and caught nothing. Now at the request of Jesus, on that same lake, they caught enough fish in what seemed to be a short time to cause Peter, this experienced fisherman, to request the help of his partners, James and John. And as we read the account in the Bible, their nets began to break and their boats almost sank. So just imagine two boats, likely 27 feet long by seven and a half feet wide and a height of four feet filled with fish. Jesus' words to Peter after that experience were life-altering for him. Those were the words when he leaned over and he said to Peter, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. I like the wording in Matthew's account. He, He has Jesus saying the memorable phrase, Come follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. I often wonder about the emotional states of people in the Bible. Do you ever wonder that? What, what state were they in? My parents did it. Their parents did it. So guess what? I guess I'm going to do it too. It's what I know. So it's what I'll have to do for the rest of my life. Is it possible he was stuck in a career that he did just because it paid the bills? As he waited for the fish to come in to his net, did he often gaze up into the stars and say, I could be doing so much more with my life. But here I am, stuck in this boat with all these smelly fish, having to answer the same question every single day. Hey, Peter, how was your day? Catch any fish today? Don't you go falling into that trap of saying that was his reality, but mine's different. It seems that many people around us these days are floating in the same boat that Peter might have been in. Did you know that a recent study states that right now in Canada, 47% of Canadians are unhappy with their jobs? Ride the bus lately? Sit at an airport or coffee shop lately, listen to staff talking, read the paper, or watch the news. We hear people's unhappiness with more frequency than Peter heard waves. Many in that boat long to do something more meaningful in their lives. To do something that will have a greater societal impact. But sadly, they stay in their boats and they miss out on an opportunity to find 
fulfillment. Learn from Peter here. The day Peter said yes to Jesus' invitation was the day monotony ceased. We need to be splashed often with the water of this story. If you are new here this morning, talk to people around you. Listen to their stories and you'll hear the similarities. You'll see that Jesus, through the lives of others who recognized him as Messiah, at some point through, uh, through another Christian, had someone come up along the shores of their lives with the same invitation, beckoning them to come. And not necessarily to, to, not necessarily to change their job, but definitely to give them a new focus. In answering yes to Jesus, invitations, or Jesus' invitation, monotony sinks and hope, joy, meaning, and, ex- and excitement uh, come rising to the surface. So often in our study of Scripture, our excitement over certain parts cause us to gloss over important parts. Parts that might teach us our most important lessons about human nature and God's response to us. Peter's response to immerse uh, to the Im- immense gift of fish that God gave him was to fill his boat so much with fish that he and his partner's boat began to sink. The reality of his sinful attitude, hmm, his sinful behavior was exposed to what it was or for what it was. Has that ever happened to you where you've been in a perhaps in a vehicle on the way to church on the Sunday morning, ready to worship the Lord, and then somebody came in front of you, and you had your kids in the vehicle, and you were all smiley, and then all of a sudden, uh, when that car cut you off, you felt that anger boil up, and you let something come out of your mouth that caused your kids to look at you and say, Mom! Ever happened to you? You know that feeling you get when that's, you're that person? There's that feeling of letting someone down. See, he could do nothing but ask for God to go away from him and inform God that he was a sinful man. There are many a people who share this exact feeling when they weigh weigh their own behaviors up against the holy life of our Savior. Peter seeing himself in that position and Jesus witnessing it did not disqualify him from an opportunity to follow. Rather, it was a prerequisite to following Jesus. The truth is, in order to follow Jesus, we must get to the point in our lives where we realize that we are great sinners and that we are in need of a great Savior. Did you see what Peter said? Go away from me, Lord. That is a human reaction that goes all the way back to the garden. But there's a blessing that awaits us if we just push through. When we see Jesus as he really is, the spotless Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, the one who can heal the sin-sick soul, the one who still desires to be near us despite our imperfections, we can do nothing but drop to our knees and pay him the honor and respect he is due. Some get paralyzed in this position 
where they can't see beyond their sinful state. I've heard many people play a record over and over again and wonder how God, they wonder how God could love them. Even after their baptisms, when they've been cleansed from their sin, they say things like, God couldn't want anything to do with me. Or God could not possibly want to be involved in my messy life. You need to learn from this story a lesson. Jesus would teach later. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He did not come for the righteous, but for sinners. The message to Peter was, come follow me. And the message today, and until Jesus returns to this world, will be, come follow me. There are many people today that think Jesus only calls perfect people. If that were the case, all of humanity would be excluded because there are no perfect people in this world. Are there any perfect people in this room? Care to raise your hand, perfect people? Mm-hmm, right. Many people put the brakes on in response to the invitation to follow Jesus because in their minds it means now I must be perfect. If that's you this morning, you need to walk through the pages of Scripture with me some more. There were numerous times in Peter's life, after he chose to walk with Jesus, where he showed himself to be imperfect. Peter lost his focus, and at times in our lives, we lose our focus. But we need to see that the Savior's hand is always there to pick us up, if we are willing to reach out and grab it. Has there ever been a time in our lives or in your life where you've taken your eyes off Jesus and focused on other things? Have you ever wondered if Jesus left you because of your sinful act? You need to see the grace in this story. God's hand is still outstretched, waiting for you to put your hand in His. You can stay and drown or allow the Savior to do what He does best. He's in the saving business, you know. For as bright as Peter was, we learn that it took him time to grasp some of the most important concepts about what Jesus came to do. It is believed that for much of Peter's time of walking with Jesus, he had thought Jesus was one who was going to overthrow the Roman government. Even after Jesus' clear, informative statements of what would happen with his life, Peter missed it, but Jesus continued to allow him to follow. You know, there are many today who choose to follow Jesus because they feel like they just don't have everything figured out. Sometimes we make, sometimes we, we make people feel like they have to have everything totally figured out. And if we were honest with ourselves, we would say we don't even have everything figured out. Jesus' attitude toward Peter shows us that he doesn't give up on people when we miss important concepts about what he came here to do. Jesus isn't a CIA recruit or an NHL scout looking for those in society that fit the category of genius or phenom. The fact that God gave invitations to fishermen should tell us that. They were people that could barely read. They were often people who couldn't string a sentence together. 
And yet this is the example we have in Scripture of Jesus going to that man. I don't know about you this morning, but I'm thankful of that. I'm not the sharpest knife in the, in the uh, drawer, but I still feel like God has given me an invitation to follow him. Why did you guys shake your head when I said I'm not the sharpest knife? Come on. He pulled out his sword. If you remember this story about Peter, you know, when the, the day came for Jesus to be taken away by the soldiers, it was Peter whose anger and lack of self-control got the best of him. You remember, he pulled out his sword. He engaged in an act of violence where he actually cut off one of the soldiers' ears. Peter just didn't fully get it. But guess what? Jesus still allowed him to follow him. Even amidst some strong rebukes at times for his childish and impetuous behavior, but he still allowed him to follow. There was a time in his life where Peter messed up royally. I'm sure many in this audience could name that time, but in case you've never heard it before, I'm going to retell it. It's found in Luke chapter 22, uh, verses 54 through 62. I'm going to read it for you. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter, Peter followed at a distance. And when, and, and when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. And this servant girl, this servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him. She said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also, you're one of them. Man, I am not, replied, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly, this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and he looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. You remember, before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Sometimes I read that and I just <laughs> try to put myself in his shoes. What would he have felt like? How difficult that experience must have been for Peter to deal with. Think about it. God in the flesh just witnessed you straight up lie about even knowing him. Hearing a story like this would definitely cause people to come to the conclusion that it's all over. Those, those three years that you walked with me or that he walked with Jesus, from this point on, it's all over. All over for the friendship he had with Jesus. That's got to be the final straw. But we learn from the Gospels that Peter continued to head in the direction of Jesus. You know, Peter could have went to a tree with his guilt. Like Judas did. 
After the death of Jesus, guess who was one of the first disciples to get to the empty tomb? When Jesus appeared to the disciples, Peter's excitement led him to jump over the edge of his boat to get to Jesus on the shore. And guess what his words were for Peter? Well, everything within me would cause me to tear a strip off him, to rake him over the coals, to stop him in his tracks as he came to approach me, and to blast him for what he did, for disowning me. Instead, Jesus allows him to share a meal with him. What we learn from John's Gospel is that Jesus says the same words he gave Peter at the beginning. Words that he says nearly, if you look in Scripture, they're there nearly a hundred times. The words, follow me, follow me. And before we look too critically on Peter, can we think about our own lives and explore the idea of denial? Denial happens any time followers of his know the way they are supposed to live, but choose to deliberately walk in the opposite direction. Denial happens when we know the right we should do, but choose the wrong. God, you said I should look, you, sh- you said I shouldn't look at women lustfully, but mm, I'm going to go to my computer and I'm going to do it anyway. Lord, I know what you've said about sex before marriage, but I'm going to do, I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. Lord, I know what you've said about me. Setting aside money for your work each day, but instead I'm going to use that money for my own pleasure for this month. Lord, I know it's tax time. You've told me pray or or pay my taxes, sorry, but but this year, well, I need a bit of extra money, so I'm going to try to shave a little bit off. Lord, I know I'm supposed to forgive my brother, but instead I'm going to harbor hatred in my heart towards them. And when I see them at church, I'm going to turn my head the other way so they feel my anger. There are going to be times in our lives as followers of Jesus where we, through our words and or actions, do things where the weight of guilt is so great that we can do nothing but weep. Where we'll feel convicted like Peter. Where the weight of our sin will be so heavy it's debilitating. My hope is that it will not push you further from God, but instead will make you realize your need for God. I hope in our church community that our sorrow leads us to repentance and a desire to do better. There will be times as followers of Jesus where where you've messed up royally and actually thought there is no way of salvaging your relationship between you and God. Times where you conclude that there is no more opportunity for moving forward. But hopefully you'll think of Peter's life and how Jesus treated him from the time he met him on the shores of Galilee to the end of his life. You need to hear this passage. I need to hear this passage from 1 John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. Here's what John wrote. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another 
And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. From what sin? From all sin. Perhaps Peter thought of this or his life experiences with Jesus when he wrote in his letter in 1 Peter 5, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any of you should perish, but that all should reach a point of repentance. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, it takes one to know, it takes one to know one. Well, in the case of Peter, he knew what it was like to be a sinner. But after spending time with Jesus, he discovered what it meant to be saved by grace. He knew what it was like to experience new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. That experience compelled him to share the gospel with everyone he met. Peter was able to give the first ever gospel sermon. He informed an audience that felt just like he did on that day the rooster crowed. They were feeling horrible because of what they had just done to our Savior. And in the midst of their sorrow, in the midst of their hopelessness, even bring, being brought to the point where they would ask, what, what can we do to make things right? Peter replied to them these words, Repent, And be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In some of his last recorded words in Scripture, he encouraged his audience. He said, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. So what will you do this morning? What will you do this morning with this lesson? Will you respond to the good news? You know, Peter's instruction wasn't just for those in the first century. But it's for all who are far off. That's how he that's what he says. You can come forward and receive Jesus. You can come forward and receive him now while we stand and sing. You can go home with this message on your heart and contemplate and think about it. Call the church, call one of the elders and let them know how you want to deal with your guilt. Let's uh, stand together as we sing our closing hymn.